0: Boo, beep, beep, beep. beep, beep, beep.
1: Welcome to the DMC Movie Podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marks, and Colin. What's up, guys? Welcome back. How you doing? Doing all right. Did you uh, enjoy your podcast sabbatical?
2: It was a nice little sabbatical. I'm glad to get back into it. Uh, Hopefully, we will uh, keep this thing rolling uh, here on out.
1: Colin, your thoughts? Yeah,
0: I'm totally looking forward to it. It's only been like (laughs) eight months.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes, to uh, jump to some listener feedback, (laughs) we did receive... A handful of messages from people saying, hey, did you guys stop your podcast? What happened? (laughs) Or how come you guys don't do this anymore? Well, for a variety of reasons, we had to take some breaks, but hopefully we're back and we'll keep going.
2: We are back and rusty as ever.
1: (laughs) Today, we're here to discuss Steven Spielberg's follow-up to Jaws, a heartwarming tale about a mentally ill man who abandons his family. From (laughs) 1977, let's talk about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Airace 31 has traffic two o'clock, slightly above. Can you say aircraft type? Uh, Negative center, uh, no distinct outline. Tell you the truth, the target is rather brilliant.
0: 31, do you wish to file a report of any
2: kind of it? I wouldn't know what kind of report to
1: file, Center. This is nuts. What do you want i just want to know that it's it's really happening i recently had a close encounter close encounter with something very unusual who are you people
0: Dave, it just, it it sort of kills me. I think you're the only person in the world who has that viewpoint on this movie. Sometimes you just take a a really weird take on a movie, and then it's all you can think about.
1: Now, here's the thing. You guys are going to be a little disappointed, because I know you you want me to be uh, contrarian to you guys apparently loving this movie. That's not what my position is going to be. I'll just say, in a nutshell, if the director of this film's last name was not Spielberg... I think this movie fades away and is not listed on the top 15, top 20 sci-fi movies of all time. I think that it gets a huge boost because it was a Spielberg project, but I think when you just kind of look at it in terms of the merits of the film itself, I'm not sure it holds up. I, I personally can't say that this is an all-time sci-fi classic. Do you guys really believe that it's an all-time sci-fi classic? Yes.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I do too. They want to make this movie now. Cause it's very quiet, a very subtle. It's just taking a very kind of peaceful approach to aliens and sci-fi. Compare this to uh, the first contact in Independence Day. <laughs> it's very different. That's the movies they're making now.
0: You have to understand the time that this was made. It was like 1977, and these types of movies hadn't been made before. Sure, there'd been like some uh, movies with aliens from outer space, like in the in the 50s and stuff. But this was like. Taking advantage of the whole UFO craze that happened during the 60s and 70s in terms of yeah. people saying that they they sighted UFOs and
1: abductions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: And this, it just tapped into that. That's why this movie had so much power at the time. It's a realistic take on what might happen if aliens tried to make contact with us. That's why I think it's lasted. Now, people... Tend to forget about it. But I think it's still a really great movie. And there's tons to like in this movie. For the past 40 years, movie makers have just built on what Spielberg did in this movie. And so, yeah, I don't think that this movie would get made today in the way that it was made. But you, you can't just discount it. It's still great. It has some amazing shots in it. Yes, the, the story can feel a little plodding. But... It's still a really great movie. And I really loved watching it again.
1: Before this rewatch, when was the last time or how many times over the past 40 years have you sat down and watched this movie? Honestly.
2: Oh, Very rare. This is probably only the third or fourth time I've ever seen it. Okay. I would agree with you that it has been kind of relegated to the back burner. It's not like the top sci-fi people think of. You'll think of Dune before this, Star Wars, obviously, 2001. There's a lot of movies that people think of before... Close Encounters. And that was one of the questions I had is, is this a forgotten movie? I'm sure your kids have not seen it at all, right?
1: No, no. Actually, so so the, I think the reason why we got to this movie is because I actually watched it with my kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my wife was curious about it. Did they fall asleep? <laughs> the funny thing is, I'm not sure that uh, just me, my wife, had ever seen it. The kids were home for the weekend and she said, oh, you know, let's watch Close Encounters because it's, a by reputation, a really good movie. Sat down with the kids to watch it. It was a combination of them being slightly bored and laughing at some parts, and then uh, Jessamy feeling embarrassed that she recommended that we watch this as a family. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we ended up on this movie.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I could kind of understand that because, again, this is made in a completely different era. So your kids have been exposed to way more different kind of alien movies. So
1: I get it. Well, so let me ask you this. I showed my kids Jaws. They loved it. I showed my kids Raiders of the Lost Ark. They loved it. Yeah. I showed my kids Jurassic Park. They loved it. There is something about sort of the inherent quality of the film that in my mind, if you really, really love this movie, there has to be a nostalgic tie that actually gives you that feeling, right? For sure. And I'll say this. I did not see this movie in theaters as a kid. And maybe that's one of the reasons why it didn't have a huge impact on me. I saw it for the first time on it was either TV or VHS, probably even VHS. So I probably saw it years after it was actually made. And that would have been after Star Wars and a lot of other movies. I remember I, I saw it once as a kid. I was kind of like, okay, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was fine. There was no lasting impact for this movie on me personally, which is why that up until watching it with my kids, that was only the second time I've ever watched this movie in my life.
2: Oh, well. Same thing. I don't think I saw it in the theater. There was some other movie out in 77 that was a little more interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and better. Yeah. Oh, for sure.
2: The only thing I remember from the movie is the mashed potatoes. Like, oh yeah, that's something about like the guy making things in <laughs> the mashed, mashed potato potatoes. <laughs> yeah. This means something. <laughs> yeah. And I totally agree. Like I think it, there is a nostalgia factor. I mean, Spielberg lays the groundwork and like he does it in Jaws too in other movies, but like this is the 80s, the typical 70s, 80s family lifestyle movie, which is one of the things that Spielberg does so great. It's been done so many times now since then from like E.T., Poltergeist, even Stranger Things. All these movies now have, capture that same exact vibe. So seeing it here, which is like, what, maybe the first or second time, I think he has a little it in Jaws. But this might be really that first time capturing that home life view that he does, which he does superb.
1: I'll just give you my, my kind of take on this. Because again, I'm not bashing this movie. Uh, yeah. I don't think this is a bad movie. I would give it sort of a good rating. But what I'm saying is that this is not some sci-fi masterpiece. When I see it show up on lists of the top ten greatest sci-fi movies of all time. I would call bullshit on that uh, because what I think this movie is, I think it's masterful in terms of its craftsmanship and the special effects. I think the special effects in this movie hold up to today. I really do. I think they're super impressive, and I think that all the work that went into how they did the clouds, the lights, the model building, and all that kind of stuff is just yeah. it's off the charts craftsmanship. So I have no problem with that. I just think that the story, it's kind of plotting, and it is also you know some of the actions of the main character in terms of it's like okay. Fuck it! I'll just abandon my family. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not—it's not a great look, dude. It's not like he's saying, "Oh, fuck it! I'm just abandon my
0: family." He's completely obsessed because he's the, the aliens have gotten into his mind. He doesn't know what's going on. I mean, not not literally gotten into his mind, but he is obsessed and he doesn't know why and he can't figure it out. All he knows is he's got this incredible. a a desire to find out what this shape is and to get there. So I cut him some fucking slack for for leaving his family. They went to her mother's house. They're okay.
1: By the way, the the, the, the one thing about the shape, when he's looking at the shaving cream, he's like, what do you think this is? It's a fucking pile of shaving cream in your hand. Like, come on, dude. The mashed potatoes. It's a pile of mashed potatoes.
2: I think he is possessed because he does have these visions and stuff. So there is some sort of I wouldn't call it mind control, but I think there is some influence or something like that on him and on the, some other people.
1: He's 100% mind fucked because at one point, you know, a younger, hotter Terry Gar comes onto him and he's distracted enough to keep looking at the skies. So <laughs> yes, the aliens have done their work in terms of implanting whatever they need to do into, into his brain.
2: But I think it's also like the, the main the premise is aliens came down. How amazing is this? We're not alone. We're seeing this and their minds are just completely blown. And I think that's what they're trying to represent. Completely dumbfounding and amazing. And that's what the whole movie is about. How wonderful and how magical and like amazing this spectacle is. Right. This is something new. Like this is, oh my God. This movie is full
0: of awe and wonder. Yeah. And Spielberg is a master of showing that. And which is why a lot of the scenes in this movie are so great. These shots are so great because he shows that.
2: I would say Dave, I wouldn't put it towards the top of a great sci-fi list i think 20th 25th something like that is about the spot it lands it's a unique look at aliens in first contact and capturing that on wonder what it must be like we're the first time the first people ever encountering this this is just amazing and i think it does capture that to some degree in no other movies i think maybe um what's that one with uh amy adams Arrival. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Arrival does a better job of it. So maybe that's like ahead. But that's like, there's very few movies made like that. Most aliens yeah, are evil and trying to kill. Yeah. They're trying to kill us and we're trying to fight. So it does have a quality that most films don't have. So that's why I would put it on the list. But yeah, it's not
1: top five. Well, <laughs> I think what this movie ends up being is a collection of really cool concepts and really cool scenes. I'm not sure that the narrative story that's all the way through it. Yeah. I think that's the weaker point of the movie.
0: I will acknowledge the fact that I am probably uh, driven a bit more by nostalgia because I did see it as a kid. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I feel like my dad took me to the theater to see it because I remember that we did watch it for a second time on VHS. And that was like the first time we got a a VCR. Right. Is that he had like secretly taped Close Encounters on the ABC Sunday night movie. And then for (laughs) Christmas, we got the VCR and he popped in the tape and we
2: watched Close Encounters. And I was like,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. That must have been amazing on your 19 inch uh, box TV. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this was like, what, like 1980,
2: I think? <laughs> yeah.
0: And I grew up with the music. My dad, he bought all the John Williams movie scores. So he had this, he was playing in our, in our house. I really knew this movie. And, you know, I'm getting chills kind of thinking about it now because I really do love this movie and I love a lot of the scenes. Now, I, I do acknowledge watching it again as an adult. After not watching it for a long time, and I've probably seen the movie about five or six times, it did drag a little in spots, mostly with the family stuff. Right. But the idea of trying to figure out what is going on, just sort of this awe and wonder around these UFOs and, and what are they and why do I need to find out more? And then you've got the whole government conspiracy on top of that to keep it all secret and... Devil's Tower, which is one of the all-time great movie locations, it all comes together for me.
1: Well, I'll tell you something. This movie at least had some kind of an impact on me because when I took a work sabbatical years back, I wanted to go to a location to do some hiking. And the two places I came down to, it was either Glacier, Montana, or it was Devil's Tower, Wyoming. That's on my hiking bucket list, right? I want to get out there. I want to see it. I want to actually check it out. You can hike around the base. You, you, I think it's, I, know, I think you, you can actually climb it too, but I, I don't know you there's can. a trail that actually yeah. goes to the top, but people do climb it. So I really want to see it. And that's, I mean, I will at some point want to go out and see Devil's Tower in person. And it's because of this movie. I can draw a direct line to that.
0: Well, then let's do it because I totally want to too. Oh, I would lo- absolutely love to go out there and see that in person. It's so stunning looking. I mean, and so otherworldly, which is why again, it's such an amazing choice. For this movie. Well,
1: that's what I'm saying. So the scenes in this movie, the locations, right? So Devil's Tower, the whole base that they build at the top of Devil's Tower, the scene of the the UFOs coming down the road, the obviously the all the stuff related to the mothership, it's all great. It's like off the charts great. I just think that the wrapper around it is a little weak. That's really what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, it was written by Spielberg. I think that's part of it. That it, too. it is interesting to note
0: that this is like a passion project for him because yeah. he wrote and directed it. So he's like, I, I think, is this the only movie of his that he had written and directed? He wrote and directed The
1: Fablemans, but was this like the only one? AI is the other one that is noted as Spielberg receiving some writing credit.
0: Yeah, but he didn't right. like,
1: actually write it. Story credit goes to Kubrick or something. I can't remember how it worked, but lots of people were involved yeah, in that one.
0: Lots of people were involved.
1: I was going to say real quick though about
2: uh, Devil's Tower... Tom was just telling me that him and his family did a trip and they were driving through wherever in Wyoming, and this was like in '77 early, and he saw the sign for Devil's Tower. Like, oh, let's go check it out. Went there and they saw it and they played around that day, and then they went home. And then like a couple months later, like, oh my god, this is in the movie. <laughs> no, like, oh, we were it. just oh, wow. there. Like, oh, that
1: was before like, Close <laughs> Encounters. <laughs> that's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, the same summer right before Close Encounters. So, Everybody yeah, cool. amazing. They're like, holy shit! Wait, we were just there. It's kind of cool. That's totally cool.
1: The general population is more probably in line with you guys because this does receive a 7.6 rating on the IMDb. It's one of our movies that we've done where I think nostalgia is definitely pumping that up.
0: No, I don't agree because AFI did a poll and it was voted the 64th greatest American film. I think you're right. Most people really like this movie and think it's a trailblazing movie and you just shit all
1: over it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, dude, I I was just very complimentary to the movie in terms of its craftsmanship and everything else. All right. Here's what I'm saying. You know, you got shaving cream, mashed potatoes, mountain on the side of the highway with the kid or the side of the road when he's doing it, small mountain, large mountain. Maybe just lose one of those, I think, in terms of the, to to move the story along a bit.
2: Colin will get to it because I believe in one of the special editions they do, right? Does he remove the building of the uh, the mud and all that stuff? Oh,
0: yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what they actually cut out and he added back in to the other editions. I didn't go
2: that deep. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he cuts out the building of the mud tower in his room. I think in the edition he made three years later. So there's like three, four different editions of the movie. Yeah. And so the edition he made in 1980, he does cut out one of the scenes there and he kind of tightens it up a little bit.
0: Really? Because- I love him building the mountain in the living room.
2: It's one of the more memorable parts of the movie. I could not find this special edition, which was edited. I don't know what it looked like in the in the edited so, version. So
0: actually, Amazon has all three editions, which is kind of crazy because I was trying to figure out which one was which. So there's the 1977 theatrical release, which was 135 minutes. He really wanted to do a director's cut because essentially what happened was he wanted to release it in 78. And the studio, Columbia Pictures, was running out of money. And yeah. so they made him <laughs> release it in 77. Save us. They didn't have the money because he wanted to like shoot some more shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they made him release it. Well, it made... How much money, Dave? Just a billion. Well, not a billion, but I mean, like $170 million or something like that.
1: $306 million in terms of total global box office and $135 million domestically on a budget of about $20 million. Right. Huge financial success.
0: And so it saved the studio. Then he said he wanted to do a director's cut because they'd forced him to release it early. And they said, OK, well, we'll let you do that. But only if you show the mothership, the inside of the mothership. Because we need something to like market this movie. Hook people in, yeah. He agreed to do that. But it's actually shorter than the, the theatrical version yeah. by three minutes. Because he, what he did was he added seven minutes and he cut ten minutes. If he cut the mountain in the, the living room, oh, I,
2: I never want to see it. I really like that scene though because he has that built and then they have the TV. It's a very Tony Scott-esque because he has the TV playing Devil's Tower. Oh, it's awesome. I love that shot. Yeah. He's sitting there thinking and looking at that and they showed on the And it's like, set. yeah, it's
0: in the foreground and he doesn't see the TV and, but the audience sees it and it's like such a, oh my God moment, right?
2: Yeah. It's a great use of the TV and the news reporting to like kind of connect the two.
0: He did actually really release a third version, which was in uh, 1998. It was essentially like the 20th anniversary version. And that's like the director's cut. That's the one that he really wanted to do. And, but that was only on like VHS and Laserdisc. I actually went to see the special edition in 1980. I went to the theaters to see that with um, my sister and her friend. Oh, nice. And I was so pissed because I was like, I was sort of expecting Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, you know, like a sequel.
2: <laughs> oh. And it was just like, <laughs> this is the same the goddamn same movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was really true. upset. Yeah, that's funny. I think there's a 30th edition too. So he's done a lot with the movie.
0: Again, like I said this is kind of a passion project. He'd like done a couple earlier short films based on this mm-hmm. same storyline. One was even a full length film called Firelight, but this is like late 60s, early
2: 70s. But yeah, this was his thing. Yeah, he had it in the works before Jaws. So it got delayed and then uh, came back to it.
1: I think his decision to make this movie was partially influenced, I guess, by an event that he experienced as a child, where, I forget if it was his dad, or they rushed out of the house in the middle of the night, they jumped in the car because they were going to go see a meteor shower. And so he remembered right. that, and that was like one of the things that inspired him in terms of making this movie. You know, a lot of Spielberg's movies, obviously, are you know, they're, they're those personal elements and the family elements, which he does amazingly well. So that was actually, I think, one of the things that really inspired this particular movie. Yeah, You
2: also have to think of the times, right? Because he grew up, I mean, I forget, what's he born in the 40s or something? So he grew up in the space age, right? So you have all the, okay, this is US and Russia. We're all going to space. We're all like chartering this territory that's completely unknown. As Colin was saying earlier, it's the height of the UFOs and aliens. And what are we going to find? We're going to land on the moon. What's there? There is all sorts of speculation. Whereas now we know there's nothing within six light years of us. (laughs) We won't be able to spot whatever is coming in. There's some mystery that's come in completely removed by as much science as we have now. We would see that ship coming like 10 years ahead of time or something.
0: Probably. Oh, by the way, Dave, I think you'll be happy to know that in 2005, Spielberg did an interview and he said that, you know, he'd made the movie when he didn't have children and that if he were making it today, he would never have Roy leave his family and board the mothership.
1: Did he? He did. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean... It is one of the the stranger in choices. But again, if he's being mind controlled, what can you do? But if the aliens are mind controlling people and they're supposed to be benevolent, you you have a little bit of a a collision there in terms of Mm -hmm. their uh, actions.
0: I don't think they were mind controlling him. I think they just sort of put out the vibes and certain people matched up. And so they were inviting them to come meet them. And they must have put out these vibes and, and found Roy and said, this guy's kind of a loser. And he's not really taking care of his family very well. (laughs) Maybe his wife and family are better off without him. And then they kind of leaned in and they said, want to take a ride? They
2: still want an
1: American to go, doctor. Want to take a ride?
2: Have you seen the kids? He's like, Destroying dolls' heads on the crib. and
1: <laughs> That's one of my questions. It's like, is the middle child that they're raising a serial killer? Yes. <laughs> the, yes. the kid is just dismembering a body <laughs> in the playpen or whatever it is. And by the way, everybody in the family finds that. No problem. That's okay. Eventually, <laughs> uh, his, the dad snaps. But, you know, otherwise, they're fine with it. Those kids are like sort of classic
0: Spielberg kids. All I can think about, and I remember this being a kid, was this is not like my family Home life? Yeah. This is like complete and utter chaos. And he is not controlling the chaos. And she is trying.
2: Last weekend,
1: you promised everybody a movie this weekend? Honey? And you also promised Goofy Golf. Oh, yeah. Roy? What is all this stuff on my table? I thought I told you this was for my stuff, this table. I mean, you can have that table. All... I don't want this stuff on my breakfast table. This can cause tetanus. What is this? Hey,
0: who's playing PL. in oh, town? So his... from that perspective, Dave, I, I will agree with you. Roy's not a good father.
2: No, not really. He has his issues. All those family shots are really great, too, because the whole home is enclosed and very cluttered. Cluttered.
1: It feels oppressive, actually, as a place to live.
2: Yeah, exactly. You have the kid banging on things. I think another shot, he's banging on the piano. So it's like very, very chaotic.
0: Well, they, they have no control. The whole environment is completely out yeah. of control. And I can't stand that. Yeah, yeah, Another scene that stuck out in my mind, of course, is you mentioned the, the mashed potato mountain, right? And I distinctly remember watching that scene and seeing him losing control. Everyone sitting around the table. Is like deadly quiet watching him and the kids are just wondering what is happening to our father. And like I, w- I was crying seeing that because that was so crazy to me to think what if my father did that. And I felt just like his kid who was looking up at him and crying yeah. thinking I don't know what's going on here. It's a very powerful scene to me.
1: Do you think it'd be a situation where years down the road at Thanksgiving, when you saw the mashed potatoes, you'd freeze up and start to sweat? <laughs> because all you remember is your dad made a mountain of mashed potatoes, and then he disappeared forever.
2: <laughs> Post-traumatic mashed potato <laughs> syndrome.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, moving on to indeed, critical reception for this film. So <laughs> it was quite positive. It did receive eight Academy Award nominations and uh, one win for cinematography. Yep. Vilmos Zsigmond.
0: Vilmos Zygmunt.
1: The visuals in this movie are great. I mean, off the charts, great. They really are. Yeah. The mothership, the base view, the the clouds. I mean, this movie is quite fun to look at.
2: Yeah, it got nominated for all the technical categories, right? Art direction, set, sound, film editing, visual effects, and obviously John Williams for score.
1: Yeah. One thing about the score and the sound mix in this movie, the score is actually somewhat aggressive, I would say, in terms of its relation to the dialogue in this movie. Mr. There are lots of times where the the score is coming in pretty loud, and there's lots of overlapping dialogue. It's one of the things, actually, when I was watching with my kids, they got frustrated about. They're like, we can't fucking even hear what's going on.
0: Oh, interesting. I know you're very attuned to that sort of thing. Yeah. I watch movies with the the captions on.
1: (laughs) We actually had to go back a couple of times and put the captions on just to make sure we understood what was being said. And by the way, that is a general complaint about this movie when you read about it. People say that it's really loud in terms of the general description of the movie. Hmm. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and this starts with the plane scene in the beginning, there's so much of the Raiders score in this movie. There's a lot of Raiders scenes, like with people running around and the soldiers running around and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It feels so similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So actually, that to me was one of the enjoyable things about this movie was seeing some of the early Spielbergisms and how they actually then translated to his career as he kept going.
0: Definitely.
1: There's a great moment where the helicopters come in and they're shining the lights through the trees. And I looked at that, I'm like, oh my God, that's E.T., right? Yep. You can just see yeah, that's exactly. E.T. I mean, I'm a big Spielberg fan. You know, I think he's an amazing director. So seeing all those elements put on screen now in terms of where he ended up and all the other movies he made, that to me was tons of fun. That's one of the, the more interesting parts of this movie. I, so I was actually looking at this movie and enjoying it more probably for that element than the actual core story, I would say.
0: There's a couple of things when all the toys come to life in Barry's bedroom. It was like poltergeist. Yeah. In Barry's house when the refrigerator door is like wide open and food was spilled all over the floor and the the cat door was flapping. E.T.
2: Yeah, very, very similar.
0: It was really kind of fun to go back after a long time
1: and watch it again and go, hey,
0: that's from that movie. That's from the movie. It's like, but no, this came
2: first.
1: My overall question though is, and, and Marcus, maybe this would be an interesting one. If you were to show this movie to your daughters, what do you think they would think of it?
2: They'd be bored. (laughs) They want to be engaged in it. E.T. is the answer to that. This is not a family movie, necessarily. E.T. is his first encounter to show kids, right? I think it's more of a mature movie because it's a little bit slow. There's not that much action, per se. There's not that much engagement. There's nothing really gripping about it besides this man's obsession.
0: That's the thing. This is the movie... That's aimed at the public who is like obsessed with UFOs yeah. right. and the government covering
2: it up. This is a reaction to that. Yeah. And it wasn't made to be a family movie or made to entertain younger audience, I don't think.
1: No, I understand that. But I guess this is to me where if you're comparing it to, is it a true classic, right? Because to me, a, a classic movie, a great movie should be something that is relatively timeless and can stand on its own. Yeah. And you don't need to necessarily set up the the why you should like this movie. I think if you showed your daughters Raiders of the Lost Ark, right, they would probably yeah. have a good time with it. Would you agree?
2: Oh, yeah. For sure. And we Jaws? About we are talking about this weekend. Jaws is a little early for that. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're what? 12 and 10.
2: So Jaws is what? close. But yeah.
0: Oh, no way. Like, I, I think I saw Jaws when I
2: was uh, Yeah, they were, they were a little more, <laughs> little more sensitive, maybe.
0: Then again, I had nightmares even <laughs> leading up to actually seeing the movie. So I hadn't even seen
1: it yet, and I was having nightmares. Yeah. So for me, the interesting thing is, in 50 years, if you're compiling a list of the greatest sci-fi movies ever, is this one still on there? I think it is.
2: It's not necessarily the most entertaining one. It may not be the most fun and exciting, but I think it's still a great sci-fi movie for what it is.
1: I did a little bit of research, and I I dropped into Reddit and some other places, and I was reading through some threads of people that, that had watched it for the first time. People, late teens, 20s, whatever it is. And the feedback was very similar in a lot of cases. I have a couple quotes. There are far too many scenes of people staring at things that are off camera. The movie is very long winded and really takes forever to get to the point, And that point isn't really worth the wait. With that said, Close Encounters has some of the greatest scenes ever filmed.
0: <laughs> that makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: OK, well, so the second one is so Close Encounters is a tricky one because I'm a big fan of Spielberg and aliens and all that jazz. And I really didn't enjoy watching it. I don't think it's a bad movie, especially for the time, but it's not a very fun movie, in my opinion. And maybe it doesn't hold up very well. I don't know. It's the kind of movie that I should love because most of the ingredients are there, but I just don't. You're right about the final scene being great, but it's a long and poorly placed way to get there.
0: These are people who grew up on junk.
1: That's a slightly older elitist uh, movie angle you're taking.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. It's very, very much so, yes.
2: But I do think there's a pacing issue. Like I have the same issue watching even older movies. It's because you've seen more things down the line.
0: Yeah, you've seen all the stuff that have
2: ripped off
0: these earlier movies.
2: Yeah, and move at a much funner pace. And
0: so it's not as interesting and as fun because you've already seen it a million times and in a million different ways and all very much modern. And so you watch that now and you're like, oh, well, this is a very, eh, just okay.
1: But Star Wars, I mean, all
0: the Star Wars out there, right? Star Wars still holds up. Do you know why? Because all of the kids from the 70s and 80s, they sat their kids down when they were like six, seven, and eight, and they made them watch Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) That was literally what they'd
1: been exposed to for the first time. Right. But they didn't necessarily make them watch Close Encounters.
2: No. No. And that's fine. They're different movies, though. Star Wars is an action-adventure movie, and Close Encounters is not. If you're expecting action-adventure from Close Encounters you have the wrong expectation going in, because that's not the movie it is, right?
1: This just gets back to me saying that, is it a true classic masterpiece? I'm not sure this is a masterpiece. That's my angle on it.
2: Why don't you ask all those
0: people on Reddit what their favorite movie of all time is, or what the best movie of all time is, and if they all say the, the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> I,
1: knew, I knew you were going to go Fast and Furious there, too, but that's funny. I'm like, here it comes. <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. <laughs>
2: That's and Furious so are good stuff, though.
0: They're fun. Yes, they're, they're totally fun. But are they going to end up in the AFI top 25 in 50 years?
1: No. Probably not. <laughs> well, OK, so let me ask you this. What are your guys maybe the like top five Spielberg movies? And is Close Encounters in that?
2: Uh, top five, I didn't make the list. Raiders and Jaws are one and two. You can interchange them depending on what mood you're in. Uh, the next, I do have Jurassic Park. And then Close Encounters, I have fourth on the list ahead of E.T. Nice job, Marcus.
1: Yeah, so I'd, I'd probably swap out Close Encounters for uh, Saving Private Ryan and otherwise probably have the same list.
2: Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, I don't know, it's just too gruesome. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of Close Encounters. Close Encounters is all on, wonderful and, and kind of inspiring, where, where Saving Private Ryan's a little more... don't really want to go back and watch a war movie like that. Just as amazing, too. Like, I'm not knocking a movie, it's amazing, right?
0: Yeah, but, um, I had Close Encounters as number six. So I had Raiders, Jaws, Schindler's List, Dave... <laughs> Jurassic Park and Saving Private Ryan, and I made that list about two months ago because we were talking about this, uh, you know, on group chat. And then I watched Close Encounters again, and now as we're talking about it, and I'm thinking about Saving Private Ryan, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe Close Encounters is number five. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have a strong, a much stronger connection to Close Encounters than Saving
2: Private Ryan. Yeah, and it's not a knock on Saving Private Ryan. That opening scene is just no, absolutely it's a, amazing. it's a really. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is. Amazing, yeah,
0: 100%. I have a lot of, a much closer connection to movies I've, I saw when I was in my teens and stuff sure. than I do the movies that I saw as an adult, and you know that's just natural.
2: Oh, for sure. Of the five movies, 93 is the, <laughs> the most recent with Jurassic Park. The others are 75, 77, 81, 82. Yeah,
0: and, <laughs> and Save a Private Ryan was, what, 98? Yeah. Then again, well, I'll just say like Pulp Fiction- that was 1994, so yeah, I mean, basically up until I was like in my mid to early 20s, and then it kind of shut off, and then I was, yeah, that's a good movie, but
1: I have no connection.
2: Your heart grew cold it, and it hard. It grew
1: cold. <laughs> cold and dark. You got stuck in that cubicle.
2: Well, Dave, what was your list then? Close Encounters and E.T. were my four and five.
1: So swap Close Encounters with uh, Saving Private it's Ryan, and that's probably my list. Okay. I have a soft spot in my heart for Ready Player One. I think that movie's kind of fun. <laughs> it, it I haven't doesn't, seen it, that one. It doesn't, it doesn't crack the top five for me.
2: Yeah, I read the book and I love the book. Uh, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen anything since uh, Munich. So I haven't seen any Spielberg movies since 2005.
1: Well, yeah, so Munich's an example of a movie that uh, was really good and probably not one that I would necessarily be running to rewatch, maybe ever.
2: Very forgettable. Enjoyed the movie, did well. Don't remember much of it anymore.
0: Spielberg movies now, like over the last, I don't know, like what, 20 years? Have been really good They just don't have the magic, right, that he had, that they had when he was a lot younger, either not having a family or just having a family, right? And they're just much more adult. Like, I watched uh, Bridge of Spies again, and it's a really good, very well-made movie. I think that's a really good movie. Yeah, but it didn't wow me. And that's the thing. Like, Spielberg makes really good movies now. They just don't
1: quite wow me. Well, you're like 57 or 58 now, aren't you, anyways? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Yeah, Oh, yeah. I'm
0: I'm, I'm like 62 or se- 70, really. I feel like I'm 68. Uh, Ready Player One, though, is interesting. I liked the movie. I thought he did a really good job. But the central thing about that movie, I read the book, too. It's just... It's just 80s this dude just It just orgasms the all over the 80s. And right. because of that, I'm rolling my eyes like yeah. half the time.
2: That's why I didn't want to watch the movie. I'm like, okay, I read the book, and it was kind of fun, but a little over the top. I don't need to see the movie for it. And,
0: and by the way, like him, you know, getting Spielberg to make the movie was literally, oh, it had to have been a wet dream, like for oh, him man. when he was writing this book. If only Spielberg could make it into a movie.
1: <laughs> One of the reasons why I, I kind of like that movie is I actually think that Spielberg took some very niche material and made it more broadly available. And so I, I kind of appreciated the approach he took there. I thought that was pretty good because not a lot of people are going to be uh, down with. Playing joust after you go through a, a Dungeons and Dragons, uh, what do you call those things again? Module in the book, right? right? So <laughs> and so, it's like he kind of pulled back from that a little bit and was a you know made it more broadly interesting. He also actually dressed the main character up as Buckaroo Bonsai at one point, so uh, he gets points for that. <laughs> all right. Anything else you guys want to just comment about Spielberg? He's all right. <laughs> yeah, he a, he, he's okay as a director.
0: I don't know. Just I feel like. In these earlier movies, he just does a great job of sucking you right into the movie and just great job of creating mystery combined with wonder and urgency. The opening scene in this movie, the planes, the the, the Navy planes, you're just immediately sucked in. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just like, Ooh, I'm totally into this. And you're just constantly going, what is this? What is going on? What is this mystery? He's great at doing that. The other thing he does, which he does a lot of in this movie that slow zoom in on the faces of the actors; they're in awe of something that they see off screen. Thank you, redditor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, redditor, that's an amazing shot. You've seen it before in Jurassic Park, and you're not complaining about Jurassic Park. The scene where um, where Roy and Jillian they stop at the roadblock, and then they climb up onto the berm, and then all of a sudden, Devil's Tower comes into view. They stopped and they looked up. It's almost Dr. Grant in Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah. It's almost the same scene. And so he's like stealing it from himself in Jurassic Park. And there's so many of those shots in the movie, like with the mothership. and everything. It's great. You get chills every time you see it.
1: Maybe not chills per se. <laughs> no, <Nope>, not <laughs> so much, Dave.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I get chills every time I see it. Yeah. Combined with, of course, the amazing score by John Williams. Yeah. Uh,
1: and just like, oof. There is so much music in this movie that is so similar to what you hear in Raiders. It's like that
0: bum, bum, bum. Whatever the uh, the chase
1: theme. His action moments, right? When, yeah. when things are happening, it's like, well, wow. And so that was actually kind of fun too, just because, yes, I'm a big John Williams fan. Yeah,
0: it is really, really good. But then the other half of the score is very much, uh, again, like sort of wonder and awe. He's so good. I mean, could you give me another ninety seconds of that, please? Yeah, sure, <laughs> no problem. He's just amazing. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there's this whole Pinocchio theme kind of running through the movie. Yeah, yeah, Spielberg. There was part inspiration for when he wrote the movie was Pinocchio, and When You Wish Upon a Star. And he actually called John Williams's score. He said it was When You Wish Upon a Star meets science fiction. I kept thinking like, well, what's going on with this? Pinocchio was on the TV early on in, in Roy's
1: house. He was trying to get them to go to the Pinocchio movie.
0: Yeah. And then there was a, a little music box that popped up. The tune was When You Wish Upon a Star.
1: And what was, I thought was really, really
0: cool was that at the end of the movie when the with the mothership, aliens were coming out or whatever, and everyone's like standing around in complete awe and the Williams score is going. And then he, there's just a little bit of When You Wish Upon a Star that he inserted in there. It was a really yeah. cool moment.
1: One thing that I would note, on the production is just the models and the work that they did to create the effects that they did. It was actually really interesting and impressive when you read about how they did it.
2: It's amazing. The model he built for the mothership ended up being four times bigger than any uh, soundstage that they can film at. He initially he wanted to use Kubrick's, I guess Kubrick has a hanger. I don't know, I read about. <laughs> <And> Stanley's <laughs> just got a Yeah, I got a couple of hangers to <laughs> use. But there was like too many beams or something like that. It didn't work with the, uh, the background. And so they found some abandoned uh, airplane hangars from World War II down in Mobile, Alabama. So they end up refurbishing those and moved the uh, the model there. Just amazing, though, that they would build something that big.
1: And the model's actually at the Smithsonian, too. Yeah. It will come out on uh, rotation once in a while. By the way, do you know
0: who designed the mothership? Ralph McQuarrie. Oh, yeah, really? From Star Wars fame. Yeah. Oh.
2: Busy that, that year. Huh? He was definitely busy that year. <laughs>
1: Well, and the other thing that that's kind of fun, actually, when you read about the the mothership itself, and you read about all the stuff that they put on the mothership, I think there's a what is it like a VW bus? There's an, an R2D2. Yeah, you obviously can't see the ship too clearly, and they did that purposefully. And so, what you needed was lots of little pieces and spires and stuff coming off of it. And so, just for fun, they put all these little miniature items from you know other movies and that kind of stuff as in jokes. And I think that's pretty cool.
0: It seems like those model makers always do that sort of shit with. Um with these movies, like Lucas movies and Spielberg movies. yeah, They're always having fun.
2: Did you notice there was a a Klingon ship above his train uh, set inside his house? Oh, yeah, I think so. Maybe the Enterprise. I forget if the Enterprise was there.
1: I do think the special effects, the ships, and then obviously the the ship at the end, they filmed them in smoke-filled rooms, so you get the halo effect coming off of the lights. And I think that just looks pretty amazing. I mean, even to this day, right? That was just pretty blown away by how good it still looked because i was expecting to see you know how they used to have like the kind of the the green screen the matting yeah, yeah, that yeah, you'd yeah. see particularly if you're looking at it in high def mm-hmm. you don't really see any of that and i just think that that and also there was i read about how they did some of the cloud stuff they created the cloud effect by i think it was pouring paint or colored water and they layered it yeah it creates this really cool effect and that's how they actually got the cloud cover to come in around devil's tower that's one thing that I really do appreciate between this and Star Wars in that era. You had some amazing craftsmen who were doing all kinds of new and interesting creative things to try to come up with ways to actually show stuff that just gets done with CGI. I, by the way, I guess Spielberg did take a look at some super early CGI to see if if it could create any kind of a look that he wanted for this film. And uh, it was not ready.
0: Uh, no. No. Do you know who else was on this film in the special effects department? It was Carlo Rambaldi. Oh, yeah. Who designed that really weird looking alien, like the one that makes me want to turn around and run away to the run to the bathroom stall like that one guy did when he ran past Roy. Like that, <laughs> that creature was crazy looking. Carlo Rambaldi
1: designed E.T. Yeah. The the alien in this movie, I think, was controlled by, I think it was seven people or something like that. Yeah, it was like a puppet. It was a puppet, a really you know complicated marionette. Apparently Spielberg himself was so happy with it that he wanted to keep playing with it when they were filming it. So, um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, again, Alien looks cool. So I have zero complaints about the special effects in this movie. I think that they're exceptional. What did did you think
0: about all the little tiny aliens running around? The little aliens. That came out at at the the end. The little extraterrestrials who are like three feet tall and take everyone into the ship. Played by a bunch of elementary school girls from Mobile, Alabama. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Spielberg said that he only wanted to use girls because they're a lot more graceful than boys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, that that tracks, actually. That that is true. Moving on to cast. So uh, Richard Dreyfuss plays Roy Neary. And apparently, he had to lobby Spielberg pretty hard to get the part. So I'm I'm not sure why that was the case. I mean, I know that they, I think they had a good time on Jaws. Apparently, he he knew that Spielberg, because he talked to Spielberg while he was filming Jaws, and he knew this was the next project and he really had a, a passion to get involved.
0: Spielberg was looking at like uh, Steve McQueen. Like he, that's who he wanted to play Roy. And oh, he was like, fuck, I'm doing science fiction. <laughs> and then there's like James Caan <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino. Yeah, apparently James
1: Kahn wanted a million dollars to do it and they said no. Oh, man. <laughs> I think he wanted $1 million and 10% of the gross. He was a baller asking for that. He, he was definitely a baller. Yeah, we, yeah meanwhile, like, there you got Richard Dreyfus in your ear.
0: Oh, Al Pacino has no sense of humor. Jack Nicholson's too crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can't see anyone else. Dreyfus is perfect for it. I think. I mean, I'm sure other people could do it. Steve McQueen's like so wrong for it. He couldn't do the the neurotic part of it. They couldn't do the obsession part. He'd be way too macho for the role.
0: Oh yeah. Well, do you know why he declined?
2: Well, he's not going to do sci-fi either.
0: No. Well, he, no. He because he said he couldn't cry on cue. <laughs> Whereas Richard Dreyfuss has no problem with that. Apparently you're totally right. Richard Dreyfuss is like perfect. Now I don't know if I can see this movie with Roy as anybody, but Richard Dreyfuss and Richard Dreyfuss is so great at playing very like amped up um, a little bit of the edge sort of character.
2: A little bit neurotic. A little little bit bit neurotic. I mean, he's, he's very similar in Jaws too, right? Like he's got the, he's more an expert in Jaws, but he has that same sort of energy. Yeah,
0: with Dreyfus, uh, Spielberg should have hired uh, Robert Shaw to have a role, <laughs> no, just to torment, just, just a, to poke him, just to torment him. You city hands, Mister Hooper,
1: and counting money all your life. All
0: right, all right, all right. Hey, I don't need this. I don't need this working class hero crap.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's good here. I, I, I don't. I mean, there's nothing wrong with his performance. I, I think that it does. It just drags a bit in the middle. That's the truth.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah. It does yeah. drag a little bit now. Didn't Spielberg agreed, and he edited it three years later.
1: I don't, I don't know that I'll go back and watch the well, special edition, but maybe at some point, out of curiosity, I would.
0: I saw the director's cut.
1: You said the longest version, then.
2: is it? The, yeah, I saw the longest version. Yeah, okay, okay. I want to see that middle one to see how it's different.
1: So you have Terry Garr as his wife. She plays Ronnie Neary. I, I mean, I think her performance here is good. She has the right energy for, my husband's a fucking nut job and I'm done with you. <laughs> like, that's basically, I, that, yeah. that's the arc that she goes through.
0: She's got the perfect amount of exasperation. To play Ronnie.
2: She goes out, she humors him to to look at it. She does a great job with the role too. Like she's
1: a great counter to him. I don't think Roy was getting the job done at home. Have you seen his home? I
0: mean, (laughs) do you want to get the job done
1: there? Well, I just think that Terry Gard could do better. I agree. I think we can all agree on that one. So you have Melinda Dillon. So she plays Jillian. And she had an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress for this. I was really surprised by that. (laughs) I was too. That's my question. Do you really think that this performance is best supporting actress material? No. no, I don't. In fact,
0: you know, I was looking at other people that were considered in the casting and one of them for Ronnie, Terry Gard's character, was Meryl Streep. And I thought, oh my God, if Meryl Streep had played Jillian, she'd have knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I wasn't even aware that Melinda Dillon was nominated for best actress. That's, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't
2: good. It just, it didn't really stand out to me. She screamed Barry, like, better than anyone else in the Academy. Barry! 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 Barry. Barry. Calling out for her
0: son Barry so many times. Yeah. yeah. I'm, <laughs> su- I'm surprised Barry wasn't nominated. <laughs> that kid. Fuck that kid.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude fuck that kid. Causing all sorts of trouble. Yeah, I'm not sure she's the best mom, but you know, we can move past that. Maybe she just had her hands full with that kid.
0: I think she just saw Roy and she's like, I'm gonna sweep him away. I'm gonna sweep him off his feet. I'm gonna take him away from his his four kids and his and his wife and his chaos of a home. I'm gonna bring him out. Mm-mm. I need a man on the farm, and we can
1: talk UFOs together. <laughs> compare sunburns when she shows him her sunburn she basically just pulls her shirt open she's like look at my sunburn yeah i know
2: she was like crushing hard on him she was definitely coming on
1: him that was one of my questions is do you think she was actively hitting on him and i would say yes yeah
0: i think as part of the extraterrestrials plan was they activated some area of her hippocampus (laughs) that 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 that, uh controls sexual desire and she, she was like laying it on thick
1: and I think the moment where he kisses her up at Devil's Tower is actually one of the worst parts of the movie, honestly. W- what is that scene there for? It's supposed to represent the joy of the moment. I, I right. get that, yeah. right? Yes. But it's still unnecessary, in my opinion.
0: All right. Well, that's just because you're a good family man.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I try to be. So you have uh, Francois Truffaut. Okay. Your French is excellent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> he plays, in my notes, the French guy. <laughs> Did anyone get his character name? He's Claude uh, Claude Lefeuille. He's Lacombe.
2: Yeah, Claude Lefeuille. I live
0: the unknown. I am the unknown. I love the unknown.
1: <laughs> well, and apparently this was Spielberg just reaching out to him because he was an admirer of him as a filmmaker and wanted to pull him into the movie. That, that's what I understand in reading about it.
0: Yeah, and I fucking love it. When I was a kid, I didn't know who Francois Truffaut was, but I, I really loved his character. And yep. then later on, I found out that he was a film director. I was like, "Oh man, that's awesome!" Spielberg got Francois Truffaut to be in his movie.
1: I think he does a fine job. I mean, you know, no complaints. I mean, and and again, when I saw this when I was younger, I had no idea. Just like you, so carried off just fine.
2: I was to say, what I don't understand is is the role of his character. Why?
0: Why is a French guy heading up a yeah exactly. like a
2: scientific <laughs> government
1: thing for the U- United
2: States? Our Air Force's most secret. Like, <laughs> Operation they're doing, and like this French guy's like taking the lead. You got
1: like UN trucks driving through the middle of the desert. You get, I mean, people are just flying everywhere in this movie. That's yeah. one of the things where activity does not necessarily equal progress. I think that that's there's a little bit of a problem here. Lots of people going to lots of places, but the structure and who's doing what that's all very, very uh loosely defined. I'll say,
2: yeah, you just got to kind of roll with it. I think don't take too much of that, uh, too seriously or now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I personally, I, I loved Truffaut, I loved seeing directors in films when Sidney Pollack was in uh eyes wide shut john houston
2: in uh chinatown oh, uh kevin smith and mall rats I, I know
0: what you're not, saying not in their own <laughs> films just in <laughs> oh, other people's oh, oh. films <laughs> he did it again like in uh the Men's at the end of the movie he gets to meet john ford right yeah and i'm like yep. holy shit is that david lynch <laughs> it's really cool i i don't know i'm just kind of weird that's a, a thing i like to see i agree
1: with you it's it's fun So you have Bob Balaban as the interpreter slash uh, cartographer. And when you think of this guy, what do you think of? Seinfeld. Exactly. I think of Seinfeld too. (laughs) Get a good look, (laughs) (laughs) stanza. The Seinfeld cleavage episode. That's what I think of when I think of him. All right. Anybody else in the cast you guys want to briefly touch on?
0: Yeah. Like, I didn't really even know this, but (laughs) the credits roll. And there's a character called Robert. And it's like Lance Henriksen.
2: What? I usually like pretty good at recognizing people. I had no clue. He was the guy scrambling with them when they were climbing the mountain. He was like one of the guys with him there.
0: No, that wasn't him. No he, no? no,
1: he was a scientist. I think I would have recognized him for sure. I missed him too then.
0: How can they like even name him? Because none of the, really none of the scientists like, even really had names.
2: Is he the guy who like dragged the globe into the other room? He might have been.
0: <laughs> By the way, I love that scene. <laughs> I think that scene <laughs> is like funny. really funny. Yeah, so Lance Hendrickson, apparently. The last person I just want to mention was when they were scrambling up the side of the mountain and you got the uh, army guys chasing after them, they stop and it pulls out a radio. And I'm like, is that Captain Dale Die? You know Captain Dale Die, right? He's like a military, um, no? Uh, uh, definitely he's not. He's like a military technical advisor on like a lot of movies. And he's been in a lot of movies too. I'm sure if you saw him, right now, picture of him, you'd be like, oh, right, that guy. And I was like, holy shit, that's him. And it was him. And apparently, they're like, yeah, put him in the he- – you can cut this all out. But I love it. I just, like, <laughs> love seeing Dale die in movie. Oh, no, this is gold, dude. I'm keeping <laughs> no, it <all>. up. <laughs> no, like, People out there know who Dale Dye is, okay? I, I swear. All
1: right. That person out there. <laughs> Shout out for Dale Dye.
0: He's not even in the credits, but I looked him up, and uh, he was in a bio somewhere that – yeah. This is like his first movie, and Spielberg like put him in it. And then Spielberg started using him. He was the technical advisor on Saving Private Ryan. He's worked on so many movies.
2: Do you think the person who knows who Dale Dye is will
1: actually listen to this podcast?
0: Yes, you know why? <laughs> because it is Captain Dale Dye
1: himself. Yeah, let's make sure to tweet this at Dale Die, <laughs> and then and then Timothy Carhart for no reason at all. <laughs> oh yeah, Marcus, hit us with the plot summary.
2: Family man, Rory Neary, has an encounter with a UFO and becomes obsessed, turning his once quiet life upside down on a quest for answers.
1: All right. Opening questions.
2: Would you volunteer to go board the UFO at the end when Rory gets on? Would you be interested?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fuck no. (laughs) 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 Not even to just see inside? Hell, people paid... $7 $7 to go see the same movie just so they could wait until the end to see inside the mothership.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure that they're totally aware of my nutritional requirements and what makes me comfortable, etc. So <laughs> I'd let a few people go before me.
0: <laughs> Although I tell you what, if that marionette alien was leading me in, I, I definitely would have just turned around and ran.
1: Yeah. A little bit scary?
0: Too scary. I like the
1: concept, but no, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give somebody else a, a go first.
0: What's the best thing you've sculpted out of mashed potatoes, Marcus?
2: I would just always go for the, uh, the crater so you can fill up your uh, gravy, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> what is the best first contact with aliens, like friendly aliens movie? We kind of talked a little bit about it, but you got to make your decision.
2: I don't know if I can make that many. I would say Close Encounters would be the first one that comes to mind. Maybe Arrival. I said Arrival earlier. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while, so I'd have to rewatch that one.
1: I think it's hard to uh push past E.T. with this one, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean I think E.T. is an all-time family classic. Yeah. yeah. Family classic,
0: yes, but what about for us adults?
1: <laughs> Were you ever a child, Colin? <laughs> Some of us have kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like close encounters better than E. T.
1: Contact is the other one that came to mind for me. Yeah. There's a lot about contact that I like just in terms of the concept of, of the aliens sending the information down so you can build the machine to get you to where they are and, and all that i think that's actually pretty well done um also has um the best crazed jake Busey face ever oh, to, Jesus, uh, yes. to appear on screen yeah i think arrival and et maybe are the three that came to mind
0: i thought about like the day the earth stood still
1: but i, I don't think i don't think gort is necessarily like a uh, well they weren't uh,
0: there to, to to destroy the earth you know right. we were just we just thought they were going to destroy the earth but yeah, I'd say Contact, definitely. Arrival is also quite good. But for me, it's probably this movie. Although Mac and Me was really good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do the tones and the sign language in this movie actually mean? That was my question
0: I, because I really just have no idea.
1: That's an example where this movie is kind of like, eh. you know, apparently a group in India, were they visited by the mothership? And all of a sudden, you know, you have a bunch of people that are out there that are chanting. And I'm not 100% clear why everybody knew to go there and how you translate the music into hand signals and all that. And even when you give the hand signals at the end, what do they mean? I mean, all that is actually, it's performative, but it's not informative, I guess I would say.
2: Yeah, the sign language part, I didn't get at all. The tones, I think they're just trying to find a way to communicate. Sound was the way. I don't think they know what they're saying to each other at all.
0: Yes, I agree. The hand signals, they're like these Kerwin hand signs, and they actually denote musical notes, musical notes, right? Right. So it's do, re, mi, fa, so, right? That's what they mean. I don't know music very well, but the tones themselves. Yeah. So what do those mean? I don't think they know. I know that John Williams worked on like a 500 different tones in order to get the right one. But yeah, I don't know what they mean. Maybe they just couldn't figure out how to explain it, but it's some, something to do with mathematics.
2: No, because one of the guys even says, We're talking to them, or he says something like, What are we even saying? He's like, I oh, don't know. The only thing these
1: phrases have in common are five, six. I hope somebody's taken all this down. Yeah. What are we saying to each other? Seems they're trying to teach us a basic tonal vocabulary. It's the first day of school, fellas.
0: <laughs> I don't
2: think it does mean anything. The,
0: the guy who played the organ in yeah. that scene? Actually, is is the guy who like owns the company that makes those organs, and he came oh, there really? to set it up. <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, could you play the source?" He's like, "Sure." And he now he's he's got a credit in the movie and everything. Oh, nice.
2: <laughs> Organ guy.
1: And that's funny.
0: I guess it's always going to be an unknown of like what they were actually saying.
1: Hey, fuck you! <laughs> you know, we don't want you here. <laughs> it was just.
0: It was a, actually alien for fart sounds. and all the little aliens are cracking up the whole time and
1: they're like we got you <laughs> it, was, it was a it was an interstellar practical joke exactly let's see if we can get these uh humans to uh play along
2: you knew that what was this star trek episode with where picard meets the alien tarmac and jalad at tanagra no yeah. like enemy mine was another one didn't they have to like figure out what they were saying in half the movie is that the movie? They ended up
0: teaming up to survive. They had to work together, yeah, to survive. Yeah, yeah. And then the male alien had a baby. The male alien was played by... Um,
1: Lewis Cossett, Jr.? Dennis Quaid was the uh, human.
0: Exactly. To me, that's low-rent sci-fi. I remember going <laughs> to see that movie and going, yeah, it was good, but not really that great. Yeah.
1: Well, probably didn't have the $20 million budget that Close Encounters did.
0: By the way, Spielberg... Told the studio it was only going to cost like about 2 to $3 million. And he knew it was going to cost more. But he just figured, well, once I get into it, they'll give me more money. Not thinking about the studios.
1: Columbia about to go under.
0: About to go under.
1: <laughs> yeah. But he also saved the studio. So ultimately, it was He a did good save the
0: studio. So
2: yeah. Do you know Star Wars budget? Same year?
0: Uh it was like $30 million?
2: No. 11 11 It was cheaper. Is that amazing? That, that they actually just spent 11 million on it. IMDb says 11 okay. million in Star Wars. I looked it yeah. up too. I'm like, oh, is 19. Like, how's that compared to the others? And looked up. Oh, let's look up Star Wars.
0: I know all the backstory of ILM and stuff, and that's where a lot of the money they would have spent today would have gone onto that. By the way, just watch that the ILM documentary on uh, Disney. It's it's really really good. It's fantastic. No. Okay. All right. Well, I I, I love that <laughs> stuff.
1: I'll definitely watch it. Yeah. I'm sure. just kidding. You guys are bigger fans than me. We're all sitting here. No one understands what the tones or the sign language actually mean. (laughs) I mean, some things
0: are best left to the imagination. Much like Spielberg didn't want to show the inside of the mothership. Yeah. And that's why he went back and did it like a whole another edition because he he cut it out. Don't want it there. I want this to preserve the mystery.
1: The version that you watched, did it have the mothership sequence in it?
0: The one I just no. watched now, it he, did not. No, because that was his he cut director's it back out. cut. Yeah. yeah. But I did see it because I went to see the special edition in 1980. That was the payoff. <gasps> oh, and by the way, a bit underwhelming.
1: <laughs> I'd imagine.
0: Oh, it's basically looks like an inverted mothership on the inside. It's tons of light and everything. But it's really not that special.
1: So the special edition is not that special is what you're saying? Basically, they should just call it the addition. Yeah, well,
2: that's that's studios for you, that's marketing departments for you. Yep, I think the tones are they kind of represent we mean no harm to some degree. We're friendly, we're trying to communicate, we're not going to blow you up. To me, it just just sounded like
0: a e i o u, and sometimes (laughs) why?
1: Before you went back to rewatch this. What were maybe the two or three scenes that you had in your head about this movie? Because I, I bet they're all the same for us.
2: Obviously, the mashed potatoes and then him building the the mud sculpture in his home. And it was all that early encounters. I don't remember the end scene as much, which is kind of funny because the end scene is like so powerful now. Hmm, interesting. Colin?
0: Uh, well, yeah, definitely end scene. The beginning scene, the Navy planes, I, I think it's fantastic.
2: Yes, mashed potatoes always... I probably fell asleep when I was younger and <laughs> didn't make it to the end scenes. Could be a good possibility. <laughs> probably. Yeah. We would always go to the, the drive in movie theater. So it's very possible I went inside of the drive in and huh. like laid out in our comfortable like backseat. Pod. That was it. Yeah, exactly. Like Lights out?
1: out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised that neither one of you said the door. Oh, no, no, no. Well, that's like an iconic shot. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Before I went back to rewatch this, I was thinking, okay, the three scenes that jumped into my head. The door, it's an amazing image with with the orange light coming in. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible image. It really is. So there's that scene. There's the scene with him in the tow truck, which I think is pretty cool because they actually, you know, the way that they filmed that is they they put it on a a rotating platform, right? So they were rotating him.
0: Oh, yeah. The insides when everything starts like, like
1: no gravity, right? The effect that that created is pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's, it like, really, it's really it's really cool looking. And then that's it's, it's just pretty fun that they did that with, you know, just practical effects and by manipulating his position. That was really cool. And then the end sequence, of course, when the mothership comes down and they're playing the tones, I guess what really surprised me upon rewatch is I thought that exchange between the mothership and the base went on a lot longer than it did in the movie. I was surprised about how short it felt upon rewatch. Did you guys have that experience at all?
2: No. No. Yeah. Like I thought it was like maybe even, little well, not long, but it was given the right amount of space. It seemed longer than they would give today. There's a long sequence of silence and it coming in and landing and that whole sequence is, does take quite a while.
1: I guess one thing that I really did remember was when the ship blasts the sound so loud that it breaks the window. Like That oh, was something yeah. that was what was very memorable to me. So I was thinking that they were going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, all that gets compressed. And then, except for the one guy who gets scared and runs to the porta potty <laughs> he, he's not having it. <laughs>
0: so you thought it was when you watched it again. You thought it was a lot shorter than you remember it being.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, the last time I saw this was literally thirty years, twenty, you know, forty, forty-two years ago. I think that was probably the last time I saw this before rewatching it.
0: Wow, it really yeah. made no impression on you. <laughs> it made no impression
1: on me, and it, it, I never sought to rewatch it. Oh wow! And in the back of my head, I always had it as a lesser Spielberg offering, so I just didn't feel the need. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. <laughs> All right, well, you want to jump into this thing and just talk about a few key scenes and ask a few questions, maybe? I'm um, sure. Yep. Yeah. So I have a question, Marcus. This is for you. All right. What are the first two kinds of encounters, if this is a close encounter, or the third kind? I have the answer. It says actually six. It's called the Heineck scale. God the, damn it. Uh, I thought you didn't know this, but okay, go ahead.
2: <laughs> I got it. All. The first two kinds, are there. he has six on the scale. So the first is no- nocturnal lights. You see lights, nights in the sky. Uh, Second is daylight. You see daylight disks or you see something in the daylight. Third is you get a radar visual. The fourth is a visual sighting of an unidentified object less than 500 feet away. The second is a physical effect. So this would be like his encounter in the car would be the second kind. And then third kind is actual contact.
0: What's the year we make contact?
1: 2010, I believe. Yes. Thank you. I think the hook of the planes and all that in the beginning, it's like, you're like, yeah, yeah, this is really interesting, really interesting. And then it cuts to Roy Neary as the family man. <laughs> it slows down a little bit, right? But I do have a question, which is, why did the aliens return the planes?
2: I no idea. I have a question about the planes, too. How did the, the people at the end, the guys coming off the ship, were going to be the pilots? They had the whole dossier, they had them on the computer screen.
1: This is a, a squadron that actually disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle, right? That was, and, and, and so is the idea that... Uh, the, I'll tell you, I'll tell okay, you. Go, okay, go,
2: go.
0: So I, I think what's going on here is that the aliens came, right? Well, they took people. I won't use the word abducted, but they sort of took people, including them and in their planes, these pilots and their planes. And then they went up into space and because of the... Relativity. I, Yep, and then they whatever they spent a weekend together, often <laughs> Cygnus or the Dog Star, or wherever, and and then Alpha Centauri, and then they and then they came back, and it's forty years later or twenty years later.
1: That, that, that's fine, but why do you drop the pilots, or I'm sorry, why do you drop the planes, and why do you drop a boat with no people, and what's the intent there?
0: I think because they didn't. The aliens' GPS isn't very good, so they could cr- just it put, creates put, mystery. Put them, put them back where they where they found them. So really what, what was required
1: here was a screenwriting hook.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah. because yeah, you find these world war two planes at the middle of the Mexican desert and they haven't aged a day. They're in perfect condition. You find a, a ship that went missing in the Bermuda triangle and you find it in the middle of like, where was it? Like the
2: like, Gobi desert. Gobi or desert, I, I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. They're amazing hooks by the way that the ship that they found, it's an actual ship that went missing. It
1: disappeared in the Bermuda triangle. <laughs>
0: Which is, is so great that they put it in there in this movie. And that was also a lost squadron. They're referencing these actual events where people were like, were they abducted by UFOs? What's going on? Yes, they were in our movie, right? Well, as far as that ship goes, they found the wreck uh, like about a decade later.
1: So Yeah, I know. I know.
0: <laughs> Which I thought was great. I was like, oh, too bad.
1: By the way, just a quick digression. Do you guys remember, as a kid, being fascinated with the Bermuda Triangle? Like Absolutely. Of, Bermuda? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. of course. Oh, I was totally like, oh my gosh, what is it? Like, when so many yeah, things so- have
2: disappeared there, for sure.
1: That was one of those uh, early uh, bits of titillation.
0: You know, it's too bad that when we were eight years old, back in the 70s, that we didn't have Reddit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or maybe it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Social media is a cancer. By the way, hit us up on Twitter Excellent. and Instagram. <laughs> Find us at wherever we are. So. so moving on to the air traffic controllers, right? So there's a scene where the uh, air traffic controllers are talking to the planes and the planes are saying, oh my God, I see something large in front of me. That scene ends, the air traffic controller asks him, do you want to report a UFO? And so my question here is, is that a real thing?
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's, this is the point about tapping into era of ufos because people in legitimate roles like pilots air traffic controllers police officers wouldn't admit it they did not want to report it and admit because people would think they're crazy and right. they would like lose their jobs and people for decades didn't do that and it wasn't until recently like the last 20 years that people have started doing that the navy pilots
2: yeah well we have the full recordings that now. we've
0: seen the recordings of that like, we don't know what these you know, UABs or UA, whatever. We don't know what they are. Yeah. But they're now they're publicizing it. And there's like the stigma has been sort of like removed. And so, yeah, I, I called that out too. I thought that was like, great. Yeah. Do you want to report it? And they're like, kind of looking around. No, no, you know, the pilots, like, no. But I did want to say about that. I love that shot. You go from the Navy planes, just like really sort of chaotic. What's going on here? Seeing to this very low key shot inside this air traffic control tower when they start all gathering around and like looking at the panel coming over one by one and sort of leaning in with this intense interest i thought that was just such a great
1: shot the guy who's playing the main air traffic controller he's very engaging actually i'm not sure the name of the actor we can throw it in later quick editor's note on the air traffic controller scene there are actually four actors who are listed in the credits for close encounters as an air traffic controller David Anderson, Richard Hawkins, Craig Shreve, and Bill Thurman. Upon doing additional research, I found it was really difficult to narrow down out of all those guys which one was the main air traffic controller. And his character name in the movie is actually Harry. You hear that right in the beginning when the first air traffic controller is handing off the plane over to him. So I actually did do a little research on this. And (laughs) the crazy thing is that uh, there are several people out there who are convinced that it's actually a young Morgan Freeman. Uh, In fact, there are at least three websites I found, one of them being on medium.com. A guy set up a website actually to try and specifically answer this question. He was asking people for help. And the name of that article is, I'm still not sure if Morgan Freeman was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It took me an amazing amount of digging to try and uh, just confirm the actor's name. Uh, Via the internet, I found a copy of Jet Magazine from February 2nd, 1978, so there's a section in the magazine called People Are Talking About, and in the article it says, where close encounters of the third kind becomes a close encounter of the real kind for black actor David Anderson, who appears as an air traffic controller in the sci-fi thriller. In life, Anderson has been with the Federal Aviation Administration for 27 years, 19 of which he's been an air traffic controller. He did go on to have several other acting credits, but I did find it very interesting that the re- <laughs> we were all commenting on how effective he was as an air traffic controller in that scene. Uh, And that's probably because he had 19 years of experience. Uh, David Anderson, you crushed it. And now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. I do like him. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. And he has a great command of authority. Yes. He's really projecting authority on the screen. He does a great job with it.
0: Yeah. There's something about real professionals who like know what they're doing and they're in command of a situation. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Today, if they shot this
2: movie, they'd all be like, what the fuck's going on? Like, they'd be more panicky. and yeah, right, yeah. they'd be
0: losing their shit and making jokes, and it would be much more jokey. This is what I love about films from this era.
1: The plane scene and the air traffic controller scene in the beginning, those are are very engaging, very interesting. By the way, just going back to the plane scene really quickly, again, a lot of Raiders there, right? With them in the sandstorm mm-hmm. and them coming in, and they have the, you sure. know, the outfits and the goggles and all that kind of stuff. There's so much Raiders there. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same.
1: I have a question about Kid. So, Muncie Indiana and the aliens are flying over in the area. And my question really here is you know, the toys get electrified, they come to life, and you see the monkey sitting there with the symbols, you know, that. <laughs> so, my, my question is who would ever keep that fucking toy in their room? Because we know that that monkey is evil and haunted. We all know that, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Monkey shines. Was that the. Uh... <laughs> Whatever it is, it's like uh, you're, not, you're not shines, getting that yeah. monkey toy in my room yeah. ever. It's just not <laughs> happening. That was the scariest shot in the movie was that monkey playing the symbols. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you definitely had like a nice eerie toy. Like I think in poltergeist you had like the was it the clown in poltergeist or is it? Oh no? yeah, it the, the, clown, in the yeah. poltergeist in, I was yeah, just yeah. about
0: to say that. It's like, oh yeah. No. Wicked looking monkeys and crazed clowns. Like, no.
1: You know, yeah. yeah. Oh no. Just no. No, just keep them far away.
0: Right around the side, Like I think that maybe like the next scene is um the Roy's, Roy's. encounter. Yeah. You know, in the yeah, truck. Yeah. You mentioned this earlier. It is a really great scene and it's sort of like iconic the, the shot of the truck stopped at the top sign and stuff. But I love the little pieces of humor that Spielberg throws in. You got the truck that comes up from behind, you know, and you see the headlights and stuff and then it and it pulls around him. Yeah. A minute later, another truck pulls up from behind and you're thinking like, oh it's another and then you just see the headlights. It elevates. It's, it goes vertical, and you're yeah. like, "Oh, what the? That's a great little shot right there."
1: Well, you're also missing on uh, on Richard Dreyfus, you know, delivering one of the harshest criticisms ever of a driver on the road. He calls him a turkey.
0: Oh, you damn <laughs> you,
1: turkey, <laughs> you turkey! <laughs> hey, now, this is a family film. Keep it clean. The stuff on meeting the family, you kind of get the sense that Roy's a hot mess. There's shit all over the house. You know, he's playing with model trains. His son is confused about fractions, and his solution there is to take a boxcar that he estimates at 60 feet and put it on the road and say, how many feet do you need to move back before the train smashes into it?
2: This boxcar is 60 feet long, okay? okay? And one third of it is across this switch here, all right? And now
0: another train is coming.
2: How far do you have to move this boxcar off the track so that the other train doesn't smash it? Quickly, Brad. There are thousands of lives at stake.
0: Brad,
1: any answer? And then, of yeah. course, the train smashes into it. By the way, one thing about that scene, and the reason why I bring it up, is because it made me think of the Fablemans. Yeah. Spielberg, as a kid, you know, filming the, you know, trying to do the train crash, I think, was it in The Greatest Showman, I can't remember what movie he was watching, but... Um, yeah, Greatest Show on Earth, yeah. Yeah, Greatest Show on Earth, that was it. Thank you. That's an example of just, it's kind of like, oh, when you know Spielberg's entire career... It's kind of fun to see those little nuggets in there for sure.
0: Yeah, I saw. I thought the
1: same thing. So totally, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, have you seen the Fablemans, Marcus? I have not. Yeah, it's it's good. It's really good. It's probably the best thing Spielberg's done in a while, in my opinion. We already talked about this, but <laughs> Toby, the middle child, just his abuse on the <laughs> doll. What's going on there? He needs help. Spielberg is really interested in showing families as being chaotic.
0: Well, the kids are like sneak up on him. Oh, that was funny. That's like early TikTok. <laughs> it's like, they are like filming them. in kids from across the street <laughs> as well, or were all those his kids? I, I don't, okay. I'm not really sure, but yeah. oh my God. Oh, it's funny. They have no respect for, for their father is, yeah. is, I think, what it boils down to.
1: So after he has the encounter, then he comes back to his house, and that's where he puts the shaving cream in his hand. And just imagine if you went to your wife and you just had a pile of shaving cream in your hand, and you walked up to her and said... Look at this. What do you think it is? I mean, How do you think your wife's going to react? <laughs> Shut up. Pretty much
0: just like <laughs> Terry Garden. Yeah,
1: like you're a fucking nut job. But one of the things that she yells at the kid at that point, at one of her kids is... They are not for real. I want you to go outside and have a hot dog, okay? Mommy, don't tell him that. Why don't you go outside and have a hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I thought that was a very strange line of dialogue, and it, it briefly distracted me because I was wondering... Who's making the hot dogs? (laughs) Why why should you eat a hot dog outside? I I don't understand. Did you guys catch that?
2: That was parenting in the 70s.
0: No, parenting in the 70s was my dad would say, I'd be like, oh, I'm bored. He'd say, go outside and twiddle your thumbs.
2: (laughs) You can go mow the lawn.
0: Twiddling your thumbs is entertaining for about 10 seconds. (laughs) A full 10?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You must have very uh, interesting thumbs. You get one thumb
2: going one way and one going the other way and see, no.
1: I'd rather have a hot dog. All right. So then, moving on, the tones in India. So the people that they receive some sort of a message and they hear tones and they they say, "Where's this coming from?" and they point to outer space. It's interesting. Like it's a cool effect of all them being in this crowd and hearing the tone. But there's no real understanding as to what it is. Why are these people? Why is the ship there? And I and I get that you could just dismiss this by saying, "Oh, it's about creating an air of mystery." But These spaceships are making contact with people, I guess, all across the planet. And, you know, sometimes they're just dropping a ship in the desert. Sometimes they're blasting tones at people in India. It's just, it's very haphazard. And that to me is one of the things that's not the strongest point of this movie. What? Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's a strong point of this movie. Like, thats it's so great. They're literally going all around the world and finding similar experiences.
1: Right, but here's the thing. If you had a bunch of people that were chanting the same thing, just standing on a, by the side of a hill or whatever, how do you know that it has anything to do with alien contact? Well, I think they talk to them.
0: Because they're, they're saying the same things. They're hearing music from the sky. They're seeing these lights from the sky. There, and it's the same tone. They're using the same hand signals. It's the same experience, Dave. How Do you not get that? They're like... Where did the sounds come from? And they all point to the sky in unison. No, I, like, so
1: I, I understand that. But just so as a comparison, right? So the people back in the US, they also received the message to build mashed potatoes and, and large mud mountains <laughs> in your room, right? So nobody in India is doing that. They're just well, singing the song.
0: They weren't invited yet. They were going around. They went to Mexico. They went to India. They were just like kind of like, oh, OK, well, we're we're going to see. Like, are they receptive? Oh, they're receptive. OK, well. Now we're going to go to the U.S. because that's where the movie director is based. And now we're going to get. <laughs> now we're going to go, go to somewhere. the U.S. because that's where all the cool people are. <laughs> we're getting
2: somewhere. It's, it's, Fuck yeah! Let's cause it's got a cool tower. Like that tower is cool.
0: It's, it's, it's got Devil's Tower, man. By the way, did the aliens scout out Devil's Tower? Because they're the ones who said meet us
1: there. Yeah, they must have. They're like this place is boss. Right. <laughs> like so I have that, so cool. one other point, one other question, which is it cuts to the Air Force room. They're talking about the fact that they've been receiving this information for days and it's a couple sets of numbers. And these are all the top scientists in the world. And it's only some guy who used to, be, used to read maps that looks at it and goes, oh, maybe we should look at longitude and latitude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. That's, those are some shitty scientists. Would you not agree with that? Um, a room full of fucking scientists, no one thinks about longitude, latitude, come on. It takes time to piece things together yeah, sometimes. Yeah, come on. You have to recognize it.
0: Yeah, this is also in like the
1: seventies.
0: And it's
2: just a it's just a bunch of there's just a bunch of numbers. And it's it was the seventies, man. Everybody was, was just... Plus, it's a bunch, it's just a bunch of Air Force guys. Just, just a bunch of numbers, man. By the way, I love
0: that scene. I, I just think that scene is yeah. great from the fact that oh my god, these are coordinates and somebody grab a map. Does anyone have a map? Nobody okay. has a map, and they're like bumbling around like like idiot scientists. Nobody has a fucking map. And they're like, right. there's a globe in the county supervisor's office.
2: <laughs> they start like rolling it over.
0: Who's got the key? And they just like break the door down. And it's like, <laughs> let's bring it into the other room. And it's like this huge globe. <laughs> and like they're like, that's a $2,500 globe. Boom. And it like rolls out into the hallway. Right. That scene <laughs> is fantastic. Pretty funny.
1: It's amusing, but it doesn't raise my confidence when it comes to the uh, quality of our Air Force, our top Air Force scientists.
0: Oh, Jesus, Dave. Jesus, Dave. You're such a you're such a wet blanket. <laughs> <laughs> As my that... dad might say. <laughs> Dave, you're hey, being a pill. Just don't
1: call me a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> you're a real turkey. Turkey! Oh man, dude, that hurts.
2: The scene I I enjoyed was they're in the um the conference room with the Air Force. And, like, the town is in there, and they're all talking to them. Air Force is trying to, like, tell them nothing's happening and trying to, like, dissuade the situation. The town old geezer gets up and says, I
0: saw Bigfoot once, 1951, back in Sequoia National Park.
1: Had a foot on her, 37 inches. Healed it to toe. Wow. Made a sound
0: I would not want to hear twice in my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just like it was like, oh shit! Just de- derails the entire operation in terms of trying to get some information. <laughs> yeah.
2: He totally reminded me of the uh, blazing saddles, saddles of the frontier gibberish. There, there ain't no way, no Simon and bushwhacking <laughs> <laughs> horsewhacker. <Squad Crocker-Curcker.
0: laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: get back here, you pants pass. Can I say winter? Ain't no way that nobody's gonna leave this town. Hell, I was born here, and I was raised here, and that going. I'm gonna die here. And no cyber bushwhacking, horn-swogging, crocker-crocker is gonna
0: roll away, pistol-cutter.
1: Now, who can argue with that? <laughs> Authentic frontier gibberish. Ah, uh, good stuff. Oh,
0: fantastic.
1: So, moving on, they're trying to come up with a solution to keep people away from. They're sending out all these trucks, and I was just wondering, because you see, okay, one's Piggly Wiggly, there's a big Coke banner, there's a Baskin-Robin truck that gets unveiled. I was actually wondering if this was early product placement. Did they actually get oh, for paid sure. for these things? I bet. Colin, do you know Do you know the answer there?
0: I don't know. I was thinking about looking it up because I noticed it too. I was like, Spielberg, he does this a lot in, in those early movies where he really likes these big brand names. I think in E.T., it's like Pizza Hut and Pepsi,
1: Reese's Reese's pieces, right?
0: Supposed to be m and those guys get screwed that up, right? Right. So he probably was like, we need somebody. We we're way over budget. <laughs> Maybe we should do a little product placement. So yeah, I think it probably was a forerunner of that.
2: I mean, it was so prominent in the scene, very explicit about it all. I mean, yeah, they it they was... could have just cut that whole scene out. You didn't need that. Yeah. It's not like they used them to fool people later. It wasn't like, oh, that's just a piggly wiggly truck by driving by.
1: Part of my question here, honestly, was the fact that these days, right? I mean, it's all scripted down to how long is the logo going to be on screen? How much are we going to pay, et cetera? I mean, it's all, it's big business. Nowadays, it's
0: like a can of soda on a table, kind of out of frame, but the label is amazingly turned just towards the camera. These are on like tractor trailers, you know, like these huge brand names. Wow. Like you cannot not see that.
1: That yeah. being said, when they're in the scene where they're trying to figure out the longitude, latitude, there is a Tab can that is pointed perfectly towards the camera. So you it see was, the tab logo. There, there you go. Tab is still making money off
0: of uh, off of this. What just <laughs> just just by that mention?
1: Residuals. Dave,
2: are you thirsty? Care for a Snapple? <laughs> <laughs>
0: The other thing I love about
1: that particular scene is just men in red jumpsuits and sunglasses. Who are these guys? Oh, man. They look very much like they're in a, uh, they might be part of Devo. I was going to say. A band. Yeah, they do,
0: right? It looks like they're going off to a Devo concert. Yeah. It's but, great, but it, that's the thing. They're mysterious and they're ominous, and you got the music. John Williams is great. Boom, boom. Like very intense, sort of like thing. And with a bass,
1: and, and you're like, Oh, I don't know who these guys are, but they're serious. Right. But you don't really know. You, you ne- We never really figure out who these people are other than people that were potentially volunteering to go on the ship. Right. That's what we know about them.
0: Yeah. Because we see them again at the end. And it's like, OK, right. this, so these are some sort of astronauts. They've been picked by NASA or by the, the UN or the government. They've been tapped as you know America's because I'm pretty sure they're all probably American. America's first. Interstellar
1: travelers. The contact team. Right. The contact team. But of course, that's not who the
0: aliens want. They want the people that they invited.
1: They want the nut job who's gonna leave his family.
0: Yeah, exactly. By right. the way, towards the end, where all those guys are getting ready to go on the mothership and they're all inside and they're like doing their prayer service before going in. I don't think
1: that really like aged very well. Well, say more. Why?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you just see that anymore? It's like all of them. Right. So they're all religious. (laughs) I would have been like, okay, I'll just see if the mothership guys.
1: Whose religion are we actually, uh, are we aligning on here? Now, it did seem
0: to be multi-denominational, but still, I was like, eh, really? Okay. Well, it was 1977. Uh, Yeah,
2: you never see uh, football teams all doing that together or anything like that.
1: That's where I was going to go. It still completely happens. Let's kneel down. Yeah, but it's after the
0: game. No, I get that that happens, but this is like a government sort of function.
2: I don't know. You might be meeting your maker and never see Earth again. You may want a quick prayer or something. There's a religious aspect of the whole movie, too.
1: Uh, I I didn't get a lot of religious, like, either imagery or tones. The believers are like... Right.
2: Like, there's a... It's not like religion, but like a religious aspect of it.
0: I guess you could say that, you know, after seeing it, it was like a religious experience.
2: I'll I'll think it through more in the second time we do this podcast. Okay, great.
1: (laughs) Well, and then, so this is where... Roy really starts going off the deep end. This is where the movie gets a little like, eh, just in terms of his decision to just truly not give a shit about his kids. And he's you know throwing dirt in the windows and pulling up a lot of stuff. I I think that there's a fair amount of time spent on that. And again, my earlier comment, maybe you could drop one of of his many builds. It's an interesting screenwriting decision to have the protagonist leave his family. And Colin, we already talked about that. You said Spielberg would reverse that. But it doesn't really do much to set up your sympathy for him in terms of completing his journey. It doesn't help, I guess, I'd say. Do we have to be
0: sympathetic towards him? I mean, the only thing I really wanted was for him to figure out what was going on and then move forward, right? Which is what he ends up doing once he figures out, oh, devil's tower. Okay. Right.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if Ronnie's taking him back anyways.
0: Well, not after the she sees the living room. I mean... <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he got fired. Not bringing in any cash anymore, so... And did he have an affair? I don't know.
0: Let's face it. He's not coming back for a good 50 to 100 years because they're probably going away for maybe more than a weekend.
1: Yeah. The run towards Devil's Tower, or actually, even before that, the fact that they bully their way onto the installation. And Lacombe, he's interested in understanding why these people are being pulled in this direction. So I guess that's how Roy gets involved in the interview. But I think in most cases... Roy is either shot at the perimeter or detained and immediately taken away <laughs> versus, uh, <laughs> I don't think he gets that close to the experiment or the the landing zone, I should say.
2: Yeah. The whole military, them breaking in, them yeah, just they were like, able
1: to They were able to penetrate something relatively easily. That's, you know, but yeah. I, it's a movie. That's fine,
2: I guess. But also, even they get off the helicopter, they're just like, no one's watching and They just get off and start running. <laughs> it that seems was, very yeah, yeah. Really?
1: Well, No one yeah. else is going to
2: notice.
1: They would take two in the back before they got 20 yards away. <laughs> I don't think they wanted to
2: kill him, though. It's still a scientific operation, so I think they weren't quite. Yeah,
1: like... and
0: look, this whole thing was put together at, like under forty-eight hours. So, yeah, if there's holes in the security, I'm gonna say like, okay, I got it. All right,
1: I'll, I'll give you that.
0: That you know, Lacombe was like, let him go. Like, so he he's not gonna really yeah. rat him out or anything. Um, yeah. But I did like the in the interview. They're asking him all sorts of weird questions, and he's just like, "What's going on here?" And, have you recently had a close encounter with something very
1: unusual? And he just
0: cracks this, like, sly grin and goes, who are you people? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That's yeah.
1: funny. That was fun. The end of this movie is, I mean, it's its pretty cool because, the you know, the mothership, the design of the mothership and all the special effects around it. I do also think that there's just something cool about the design of the base that they create on the top of Devil's Tower. The whole setup and situation is pretty well done. Again, the woman that he's with, so Jillian, you know, they're up there and he says, I'm going to go down to the base. And she says, I can't because Barry isn't here. I didn't really understand that. You guys explain that to me?
2: <laughs> she thought she'd be connected with her son somehow. I don't know.
0: This was enough for her. Getting this close and seeing what was happening was enough for her. And thinking about she doesn't have her son. She feels this sense of loss. Whereas Roy doesn't care about his kids. Obviously, he just wants to go down there as much as possible. Right. And then, of course, when Barry does come out of the mothership, she She's comes down, down there. there. She, she, like she senses that she might see him again when people start coming out. And then she gets down. She, she goes out. She is reunited with him. So that, that's probably what was going on there.
1: And again, we already talked about it. But the the kiss is uh, unnecessary and strangely distracting. That would be my take on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I really liked about the scene when suddenly, like, the clouds start rolling in and these lights start coming around, these small ships start buzzing them, right? And they all go away, right? Everyone's suddenly, like, really buzzing. Yeah, that's great. Oh, my God. Hey, great job. Yeah, pack it up. We're done. We're done here. (laughs) I was like, uh, hello. More is going on here.
1: So one thing that we've talked about, and I, I was it uh, Independence Day, was, was when we, we did that podcast. We talked about the fact that scale was one of the things that made that movie so effective. And certainly in this, the scale of the mothership relative to Devil's Tower and even just the base when it shows up. It's I mean, it's pretty awesome. It's it, it's, really it's really well cool. done. It's cool. The, I mean, the ship is great. All the colors are really dynamic and interesting. It's a, it's a fun thing to look at. But just the sheer size of the mothership, I think, is what makes that moment so spectacular honestly.
0: oh yeah oh for
2: sure yeah they do a good job you don't really realize they're doing it too because you see devil's tower when they're climbing it and you see how big it actually is yeah they're not hitting you over the head with the scale difference because they showed that earlier in the in the scene right when they're trying to climb up there You say, oh devil tower pretty big rock formation there when you see the ship and it's like just
1: dwarfing that whole tower you're just like oh shit that's huge
0: it's a really cool shot
1: yeah it's really well done I have no complaints about the end sequence. It's very engaging and interesting. Still, I'm unclear on exactly what they were communicating back and forth by playing that tone, because I'm not sure that that's ever 100% realized. They do this,
0: the wild light show with all the tones, and it's like kind of like going out of control. So, well, then at the end of it, there's a couple of long musical tones from the mothership. As I'm watching it, it's like,
2: oh,
0: And I'm, I'm watching this. I, I watched the movie with the captions on. And the captions says, spacecraft plays main theme from Jaws. Are you serious? It says it? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs>
1: that's I swear funny. to God, that's what it said. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it says that. I, I definitely
2: noticed it was from Jaws. And so it's funny that the captions would say it, too. I
0: never even thought about it just because I uh. knew, you know, like, seen the movie and stuff. But, and, yeah, I was, like, faintly re- uh, reminiscent of it. But, of course, it is John Williams. And, yeah. you know, he's having, he's having a little bit
1: of fun. I thought that was he and Spielberg just having fun with it, that moment. That's, that was my take <laughs> on it. They are just being playful. Yeah, that was my thought, too.
2: Yeah. Well, apparently they were. As I say, what I really liked about the whole mothership scene, the whole, that last sequence, is they end up, they do it all with, like, relative, no dialogue, so very little. Like, of the ship coming in, it's just the music in the ship and the, the effects without, like, a lot of, I think it's silent for... Probably four or five minutes or something. Right, film time.
0: You don't need people to be talking to explain what's going on. Yeah. The, because the audience is seeing the same thing, is experiencing the same thing that yeah. that everyone on the screen is. Right. You can just let your imagination run wild, just like everyone else is.
2: Yeah, I and mean, I think it captures that awe and wonder of the of the moment versus having someone chattering away.
1: Less is more is definitely a, a good theme for that particular moment, for sure. They select Roy out of the group of everybody who is prepared to step into Devo. Uh, By the way, if they really needed to play tones and all that back and forth, I'm sure they could have given those guys a synthesizer and they would have been just rocking because they all had the (laughs) outfits for it. But then, you know, yeah, Roy just like, he's like, hey, yeah, I'm going on the spaceship. (laughs) See you later, family. And then he walks on and that's it. Uh, So what do you think about Roy's choice? Let me ask you that as a closing question.
2: I think it fits with his character. It works with the movie. I wouldn't make that choice, I don't think.
1: I'm sure your daughters will be happy to hear that. Yeah. Danelle, probably less so.
2: (laughs) There's like an amazement that, like, you're doing something that's just never been done before. You're going to see something that's never been done before. I'm sure it's very similar to, like, the first people who went to the moon and stuff. They don't know if they're coming back or not. There's a bravery or whatever you want to call it. This is what I need to do. And well, look, kind of figure it out. Don't you have this
0: immense sense of like curiosity what's yeah. out there what's in the ship where do they come from Th- which is why I said like yeah I would go because I, I have a- this in- intense curiosity now I understand like you know Roy's got a family and stuff
1: three three kids three kids
0: <laughs> and you have to wonder well you know why did they choose him and so I think at the end of the special edition part 2 when he goes into the mothership and he sees everything then there's another scene where he goes, he walks up to the aliens, probably the the big, weird, skinny marionette one. And he says, why did you choose me? And they said, oh, we just wanted to study a deadbeat dad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought you were going to go with his train models. <laughs> we like your train models. They're like, like, <laughs> they're like,
1: you really like Pinocchio, don't you? <laughs> Let me ask you this. Is Roy who you want representing humanity? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> Not really, no. I have some
0: reservations. <laughs> I'd rather have all the, the astronauts in their red suits, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Although I do wonder, when they all paraded out there ready to go onto the ship, did the priest really need to accompany them? Did he join them? Yeah, he he was out there. No, no. Maybe he was ready to give them last rites. I don't know. But
1: again, seemed a little odd to me. That does uh, give priority treatment to one religion over others.
0: True. Then again, maybe what happens is they take off and they go into space and like they make Roy work on their uh, outer space sugar mines. They've, <laughs> they've enslaved
1: him. How does Roy know that they're not just going to spend a whole bunch of time in his ass? He doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the fear with abductions, right? <laughs> <So>. Okay, Cartman.
2: <laughs>
1: maybe Spielberg should make a sequel where it comes back and Roy's just walking around bow-legged. <laughs> One of the
0: Navy pilots walks off. He's like, huh, AC's Roy. He puts his hand on his shoulder and goes, whatever you do, don't bend over.
1: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, speaking of people walking off the ship, I've told you guys this. One of the people that walks off the ship is Hal Barwood. He and I, in a corporate setting, uh, got into some fisticuffs over (laughs) some customer feedback about one (laughs) of the video games.
0: Right. Oh, so he was actually one of the people who walked. Yeah, Interesting.
1: I think it's the Open. first or second guy that walks off the ship. So Yeah. Um, Hal, if you're still around, let's agree to bury the hatchet. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> oh my. Oh, there's one last thing I wanted to say. The logotype for the movie, which is kind yeah. of a really, really cool logotype, it was designed by the same guy who designed the logotype for Star Wars. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought it was a little interesting little tidbit. Okay, that was it. I thought it had a really Atari edge to it. It, it kind of did. It was, it was very of that era, of that late 70s, yep. modern science fiction-y type of thing. Kind of cool.
2: Good type.
1: Marcus, what did you learn from this movie?
2: I learned that if you if you do have an encounter with an alien, just take it easy. You don't have to get all worked up. You don't have to obsess over it. Just relax a little bit. There, Roy.
0: Dave, what did you learn from this movie?
1: What I learned from this movie is that I should be aware of where there are potential widespread people talking about alien encounters because there might be an opportunity for me to move in on some guy's hot wife after he <laughs> walks onto a spaceship. That's <laughs> crazy, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Colin? I don't know that I learned anything specifically from the movie, but I did learn that you have no soul. That's what I learned. I, I just don't understand why you don't like this movie that much.
1: I've said very positive things about this movie as we've gone through. As you continue to trash it, this is just like Edward Scissorhands.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're going to give give this movie an A+, aren't you?
1: I'm going to give it the same grade as I gave Edward Scissorhands initially, I think. so. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, I guess we can move on to that. So uh, letter grade. Marcus, what's your letter grade?
2: I will give this movie an A. Solid A, really enjoyable, great capture of what it might be like to encounter Aliens, it's kind of more, most realistic, maybe, of a movie. It captures the awe and wonder that it must be to experience the uh, close encounters of of several kinds shown in the movie. So, really good. I enjoyed it.
0: Con? I'm going to give it an, an A as well, because uh, uh, this movie, it, it captures my heart. It makes me feel awe and wonder. It's always going to stay with me. It's always going to be like one of those great movies that inspired me and inspired my imagination as a kid. And it's got great John Williams score and Spielberg at his best. So, yeah, it's fantastic. I don't know why you don't like it.
1: My letter grade is either going to be a B or a B plus. so it's not like I hate this movie. I want to be clear. (laughs) If you're sitting there saying, okay, what are the top 10, 15, 20 greatest science fiction movies ever made, I do not include this in that group. I don't think it quite gets there. And I think that the problem is that it's a combination of some really great concepts, certainly some amazing special effects. The central character and the whole path, you know, for Roy to get to Devil's Tower, I think is, it's just a bit plotting and a little bit slow. And I think that, again, the whole idea that he just abandons his family is, uh, it just gives it a little bit of a, I, I ding it for that slightly, which Spielberg himself did as well. So I guess I'm in good company in that regard. But I'll, I'll go kind of, it's in the B2B plus range. I'm gonna give it an 86.5%. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, there's your uh, there's your score nice, for it.
2: Nice precision. Wow! Huh.
1: It, really quickly, I'll name some movies. I,
0: I was going to ask you for. I want you now. I want to see your list for the top twenty sci fi movies of all time. You don't have to do it right now, but
1: no, but, I'll put that together. But let me ask you. I'll just ask you a few questions. The latest Dune that came out or this movie? What's better?
2: I you I think paused much longer than I thought you would.
0: Well, the thing is, is that one is a very modern movie, and one is not.
1: Imagine people of any era are going in to watch this movie for the first time. That's what I'm saying in terms of comparing it.
0: Well, no, you can't say that. You're asking me what I think is a better movie.
2: One makes a lot more sense and is a complete movie, and one makes no sense and is not a complete movie.
0: (laughs) I mean, look, it's hard (laughs) for me to compare the two. Obviously, I have a more emotional connection to Close Encounters, but I really like Dune a lot, but... I also happen to like David Lynch's Dune a lot more. Again, because not a lot more, but like more just because I'm more of an emotional connection, and it's batshit crazy at, at, in times. And so, no, but yeah, Dune itself is a really great movie.
1: Right. Okay. How about The Matrix? What's a better movie, The Matrix or Close Encounters?
0: Mm, I, I, think, <laughs> I I think the Titan. I think The Matrix because I think I had it on higher on my list. And no, I definitely did. But I tell you that it also like rewatching The Matrix now. I definitely think like there are issues with it. Right, we've talked about it uh, on another pod. We did a but, podcast on The Matrix, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I'd say overall, like I, uh, The Matrix is
1: yeah I'm higher on my list. Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. What's better, Close Encounters or Star Wars, Wars and Empire? Uh, Back to the Future or Close Encounters? Is Back to the Future really sci-fi?
0: Close Encounters. Close Encounters, even though like, – because, again, it's
1: – Oh, are you fucking high? You're saying Close Encounters is a better movie than Back to the Future? I wouldn't consider Back to the Future sci-fi. <laughs> time travel, dude? <laughs>
2: really? I know, but like, do
1: you think of it as a sci-fi?
0: It's No, it's not sci-fi. It's 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 a comedy. It's a comedy. Uh, it does comedy, have time
2: travel, but it's not – I don't know. It's a comedy adventure.
0: If you asked me that question in, in 1985, mm-hmm. I would have said Back to the Future, absolutely. That's no, still a great movie. But now, no, not as much.
1: Okay, E.T. or Close Encounters? What's a better movie? Close Encounters. Yeah, it's cl- I have Close Encounters. Again, you're, yeah, you're saying what's a close. better
0: movie or what's my favorite movie?
1: No, what's a better movie?
0: Um, probably, E.T.
1: probably E.T. I mean, E.T. is a lot of it's fun, but I complete. watched
0: E.T. when I was uh, 11. E.T. was so great. But then when I watched it again, I watched it a couple times, but it's still then cool. for not a long time until I was like in my 30s or 40s, and then I was like, yeah, it just doesn't have the quite the same magic. It's a really good movie, though. It's really good. It just doesn't grab me as much. But I, don't know, I'd say yes. Yeah, so e. T. is better than Close Encounters. All right, fine. No, no, no. I don't know.
1: Don't make <laughs> uh, me
0: do this. It's like Sophie's
1: <laughs> Choice. This is why I'm saying, like, in terms of you know, Masterpiece, Blade Runner or Close Encounters. Blade Runner. Okay. Alien or Close Encounters?
0: But, I, you know, I've gone through this exercise. Alien. I... Aliens <laughs> or Close
1: Encounter? Aliens. Two thousand one or Close Encounters? Close Encounters. I would yeah. actually go with you on that. I'm not I'm not a huge two thousand one fan. I need to rewatch that movie. The bit.
0: beginning of two thousand one, the first forty minutes uh, is fantastic, okay. and then it gets. Now you want to talk getting slow? <laughs> that movie then gets slow. Okay, so
1: I guess we jointly found the lines.
2: In two thousand one, tops most lists as the number one movie
1: for sci-fi. Yeah, that's not. I don't. I don't. Maybe we should do two thousand one at some point because I don't really what, share what that what opinion. When they come
0: out, uh, 68? Uh, that movie, um, if I had been born 10 years earlier, I might have said 2001.
1: All right. Well, I mean, the good news here, I guess we can kind of summarize this by saying 68, that- 1968.
2: 1968.
1: There you go. We, we can say that Close Encounters is a really good movie right up until you compare it to a really good movie. Then it falls behind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For you.
1: <laughs> was, you just did a bunch of them, dude. That's why I was asking you.
0: Those movies are on my top 20 list. Yeah. Alien and Aliens and Blade Runner.
2: Yeah. Come on. Right. Yeah. We're not saying it's like the number like, I'm not saying it's the number
0: five. one.
1: Okay. Right.
2: Yeah. We're not saying it's top five.
1: We're saying But it's you top didn't of list
0: guys. off twenty films.
1: Put put your list together. You, you you and I can go offline and I can guarantee you that I can find twenty science fiction films that are better than Close Encounters.
0: If you said ten, I'd be like, Okay, yeah, I but I wanna see ten through twenty.
1: Well, I I think what Marcus, so just to go way back to the beginning, Marcus said in the beginning, he said it's more of like in the 25 to 30 range or somewhere. I I forget exactly what he said, but okay. Yeah. Maybe (laughs) it's around there. Right. But I I just, I don't, I don't think that it's actually edging up towards that top five, top 10, which is where it shows up in lists. And that's my main pushback on it. Right. I I just, I don't see that.
0: Show me one of those lists. I want to see one of those lists to see what movies are on there.
1: Rather than continue to talk about it, we can take it offline. (laughs) Guys, any closing thoughts? We already did this. Okay, sorry.
0: <laughs> Interesting, because I thought we were just like giving our closing thoughts for like about okay. 10
1: minutes. Yeah, okay. So sorry. Anything else you would like to say about Close Encounters, please? I, I think we
0: just said it all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I just would like to say fuck both of you. <laughs> and I had a really good time re, re, reinvigorating the podcast. So, <laughs> And I look and forward to keeping it going.
2: Me too. Let's do another soon.
1: Uh, and with that, this is the DMC Movie Podcast. <laughs> Signing off. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Goodbye. Goodbye everybody. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye. <laughs> you turkey. But then the other half of the score is very
1: much. Uh, Could you give me another 90 seconds of that, please? Uh, 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 uh. Oh. oh. Colin, dude, I got to cut you off there. I'm afraid we just received a cease and desist letter from John Williams.
0: I'm good, Dave. How are you?
1: Good. How's that list going? <laughs> the list
0: is the list is done, man.
1: It's done. Yeah, you know what else is up. done? This
0: conversation. I'm only going to give you
1: shit about this for the next decade, so that's good.
0: By the way, if I wasn't so busy yesterday with work, I would have engaged more. But at some point, I was just like, fuck
1: this.
2: You guys are going crazy right I now. I was
1: just having fun fucking with you, mostly. I yeah. figured that we could argue about movies, and you wouldn't, neither one of us would take it personally. You might, but I did not.
0: Oh, I did. Oh, I know. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs)